Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Well, welcome again to another installment of the Leaders Alliance podcast. We're so excited that you've joined us. And uh, also for you that are watching this in archives, I I really pray that this will be just a great and powerful impact on your life. You know, uh, Leaders Alliance is a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who have come together from the church world and from the marketplace world to build a synergy of impact so that we can actually see churches revived and empowered and reformed and training leaders and sending them into the community in the various aspects, various spheres of society to touch and bring impact there. And so one of our passions is to help provide a platform for our members. Right now, we have probably close to about 200 members in Leaders Alliance. And uh, part of our passion is to create this opportunity for them to share what God's doing in their lives and to present what God is doing in their lives to the greater body. And so part of that right now is that this particular day, we are highlighting three authors. And during our first gathering, which was called the Hub Gathering for our members, we highlighted an author named Franklin Spence, who just released a a new book called uh, The Point of the Spear, which is about prophetic intercession. And so that was a great time, and we'll we'll be posting that on our YouTube as well. But then uh, today, in this particular podcast, we have two new authors that we're excited to be presenting to you. And uh, one is Sathya Sam who will be talking in just a moment. The other is Angelo Jean-Pierre, who will be joining us in about 30 minutes and presenting what God's been doing in his life. So as we begin, let's just ask the Lord to be with us, and then I'm going to introduce to you Sathya Sam and what he's doing. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we're thankful for this broadcast, and we ask God that you would use both of these speakers and what they've done and what they've written to impact the church at a phenomenal level. God, we're looking for the fruit of what you've done in their lives to be born in the lives of others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Sathya, could you come on now? And uh, we first met, gosh, probably about four years ago, maybe three years ago, and got to spend some time together. And uh, I've just, you know, tracked a little bit with you, but then to hear what you've been doing, I got to uh, an advanced copy of his book and got to read it. But It's just amazing to me how God has led you from being on staff at uh, Catch the Fire Toronto to shifting into a ministry to help men overcome uh, pornography addiction, pornography attraction, and all of that, and to step into lives of purity and holiness and devotion to Jesus. And so I'd love you to begin by just sharing a little bit of your story. How did you get here? What's God been doing in your life to bring you to this moment? And then we'll dive into some of the details. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for having me, Michael. Great to see you. And please give my love to Diane as well. Um, So yeah, it's been an exciting couple of years, uh, kind of just growing what we're doing here. But um, just to go back, I am a fourth generation pastor. So dad, grandpa and great grandpa were all pastors. And uh, it kind of runs in the family. I tried other career pursuits. And uh, lo and behold, I wound up in ministry. Some of you will know how that goes. Um, (laughs) But for me, uh, the reason that I am helping guys in this area is because I had an experience myself. I got exposed to pornography in the computer lab of my Christian school when I was 11 years old. And, you know, Michael, this was 2001. This is before broadband internet even and smartphones and all that stuff. But even then it was prevalent enough that somebody innocent and young like me could kind of get exposed to it. And anybody who's had an issue with pornography, which the stats are clear, it's a a majority of people today, especially men, um, know that your first time is very rarely your last. And that was the case for me. It wasn't an instant addiction. It just kind of developed gradually. By the time I was in high school, I would say it was a normal part of my life. And uh, my peers, again, still in Christian education, but my peers were watching pretty regularly. And, um, and then by the time I got to university, my goal was to become a psychiatrist at the time. And so I was studying hard. I had five figures in research grants. So I was working in the labs. I was volunteering. I had a part-time job. I was just busy. And pornography for me was my relief after a hard days of work. And it was my reward for, you know, all the hard work I was putting out. And that is when it really became addictive. I would plan my days around it. And, you know, I may not always get my work done, 
Uh, some days I didn't always make it to volunteering or whatever, but I would for sure make sure that I kind of got my hit of porn. And um, I, again, I always told myself I could get rid of it when I needed to, classic kind of addict language. But in the middle of my degree, while pursuing the sciences, which uh, anyone who's been in an academic science environment knows it's very atheistic, that is where I really met Jesus because all of the things that I had believed growing up suddenly were confronted with very smart, educated people who thought completely differently. And in my third year specifically is where I remember really doing a lot of soul searching, just devouring the scriptures, but de devouring science journals and, and try trying to kind of reconcile it all. And I met God there. One of the things I actually discovered is that um, I don't have to prove to you that God is real. Obviously, like there, there has to be evidence, but faith first starts in the heart. Like if you, you believe first and then you see. And that's kind of what I discovered in that year. I committed my life to Jesus. And when I made that commitment, I knew that I couldn't keep watching porn. You know, I knew I couldn't keep drinking irresponsibly on the weekends. There were some things I had to clean up and everything else, you know, my language and alcohol, those things were fine. I could get rid of that no problem. But I could not for the life of me get rid of pornography. And that's when I knew I really had a problem. And one of my mentors in, in that season told me marriage is a magnifier. He really drilled this into me. He said a lot of young guys, they think they're going to get married and marriage is going to fix all their sexual issues, you know, because they'll get the real thing and they don't need to go to porn. He said it doesn't work that way. If you have that problem now, it's going to get worse later. Deal with it. And that sent me on a journey of about probably four to five years. I did a lot of the mainstream solutions, if I can use that language, internet filters, accountability partners ramping up the spiritual disciplines and all of them were useful but really only to a certain extent and uh, i realized that to actually get any kind of long-term transformation i had to address matters of the heart so that's what actually drew me to catch the fire i did the school of ministry i had just a radical transformation there and then started pastoring uh, while i was pastoring i had a relapse but it was it was one of my last relapses and eventually february 2016 was my actual last relapse which is what the title of my book is you know that kind of inspired it and um, I waited a couple of years just to make sure that, that, that God's work was done in my heart, that I was totally free. And when I felt like I got the release from him, I was, I was off to the races. I was so passionate and so um, just gung-ho to, to help other people in this area because it's a, it's a huge need and there's not a lot of people talking about it. And I've just taken it upon myself to try to plug that gap a little bit. So that's my story in a bit of a nutshell. Wow. And so when did you get married? How did that uh, happen? Give us a little picture of that part of your life. Yeah, so I was I was single throughout most of my struggle. And as a matter of fact, because of the advice I got from one of my mentors, I prayed, God, whoever my future wife is, just keep her on hold until I get this thing sorted out. <laughs> and uh, and so February 2016 was was my last relapse or the last time I watched. And I met Shaloma in November 2016, just nine months later. And we dated and were engaged for a couple of years. And we've been married since September 2019. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I love Shaloma. She's, uh, you know, I've amazing worship leader and other things. Yeah. Uh, but gosh, you know, this journey that you've been on and especially moving into a place of real victory where, you know, there hasn't been a recent relapse that there's been this breakthrough in your life. What were some of the keys to that process? How did you, how did you, you know, arrive at that place? Cause I, I know so many men, I mean, I was a pastor gosh, for 33 years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men who struggle. And, uh, you know, just it's real. And so how did you finally get breakthrough? Tell us about that. So, yeah, I mean, it's taken a long time to even answer that question because there's, there's, not a, there's not a science to it. This is very new territory. And we know that obviously the spiritual element is very real in this. And I think there are some, some practical elements as well uh, that can be quite useful. So we've distilled it or I've distilled it down to kind of three things in particular that are very useful and these are the pillars of, of recovery that we, you know, exercise with any guys who want to work with us. The first pillar is self-awareness. And for me, I was completely clueless about my inner life. Didn't know about the emotions, beliefs, or anything like that. I was very focused on kind of external matters. So building that awareness was really useful to just figure out, like, it's very easy to say, oh, I'm just a guy. You know, we just kind of get aroused. We just, this is just what guys do, whatever. But developing that awareness and realizing there were things going on within me that were driving me to seek out porn was really helpful. Our, our mantra, each pillar has a mantra, by the way, and our mantra for self-awareness is that if you're not aware, it cannot be repaired. So wow. that, that was a huge thing for me. The second thing was, was healing, healing of the heart. And that is obviously, you know, um, like uh, bread and butter here for people that are in the Leaders Alliance Network for the most part, but really working through past traumas, working through wounds from the past, reaching a place of forgiveness, resolution, and, and that kind of thing, a, a huge part of it. 
And uh, the mantra there is he who is most vulnerable heals the quickest. And so we were wow. teaching people to really let, let God in and let others in as well. When you find that safe, healthy community, uh, it is really revolutionary for the healing journey. And that takes you into the third pillar, which is identity, your identity in Christ. And the mantra there is I would rather be 100% my true self and rejected than 80% my true self and accepted. And we're, we're learning, uh, for me, it was a learning to just be my bold, authentic self, regardless of the ramifications and finding that kind of confidence that really only comes from knowing God's love at an experiential level. So those are sort of the three things I went through. It's taken me a while to even kind of be able to put language to that, but now it's the process we walk guys up through as well. Wow, those three things are powerful. So self-awareness, vulnerability, and identity. Those yeah. three things seem to be, yeah, so, and obviously, you know, I mean, most men that I've counseled who struggle with pornography, it's not always even a lust issue. There's other factors that are driving. You talked about the issue of comfort and reward. Uh, many men that I've dealt with have struggled with the issue of control or, or um, you know, levels of pressure that they're dealing with or a sense of being impotent in, or powerless in life. Talk to me about some of that. What have you seen as some of the sort of root issues that might, you know, really produce a bondage in a person's life around pornography? Yeah, we, we find there's two main things that will drive people to sexual misbehavior. The first is pain, and the second is an intimacy deficiency. So no. uh, porn, I mean, the basis of all addiction is really medicating pain. And yeah. it, is, it is pain around, like, like we're talking about, you know, wounds from the past. But pain could also be associated with stress at work, any kind of overwhelm. And rather than confronting it head on, we choose to find other ways to sort of soothe ourselves, comfort, and either avoid the pain or, or somehow kind of tell ourselves we're temporarily dealing with it. And on the intimacy front, I think a lot of people are disconnected in today's day and age. And yeah. I think it was uh, Ch Chester Kilstar who said that abandonment is the root of all roots. And we find that when you're really digging to the heart of it, that's actually at play in a lot of guys' hearts. They, they feel unloved. They feel unworthy of love. They feel rejected and abandoned. And porn is the place where they can get that, that temporary intimacy, what we call fast food intimacy, uh, just to give them a temporary sense of belonging, connection, acceptance. There's no risk of being rejected. So those are usually the driving forces. And the danger, of course, as we know, is uh, with fast food intimacy, if you were to uh, take care of your body with a fast food diet, that doesn't actually work. You become right. really unhealthy. And with time, you're, you're just hungry and hungry. You're eating worse and worse. And we find that happens with pornography as well. Wow. Well, let's maybe... Um zoom out a little bit and look at the overall sort of statistical dynamics. I was surprised recently to read that even women are now much more vulnerable to pornography than previously. It's still not at the level that men are, but obviously there's, there's stuff going on in our culture right now that is driving this whole addictive dynamic. Talk yeah. to us about that, you know, share with us what you've learned about the yeah, state I of mean, our culture. Yeah, you know, 10, 10, 20 years ago, the subject about pornography was a spiritual matter is for the, you know, high and tidy kind of Christians. But the, the research is out now and it turns out, oh, porn is actually terrible for everybody. Mm. And, um, and the, the stats are clear. So for every two guys that are watching porn, there's a woman watching, as you were alluding to, Michael. Um, some other stats are that when porn is introduced into a marriage, it, there's three times the chance that the marriage will end in divorce. And the divorce mm. rate is already dramatically high. Uh, by the time somebody turns 18 years old, there's a 93% chance that they have watched porn on some sort of regular basis. 93%. Like wow. the 7% of people probably don't have electricity. That would be my guess. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of everywhere at this wow. point. And maybe the most alarming stat is that uh, in men who are under the age of 40, the rate of erectile, pardon me, the rate of erectile dysfunction is as high as 33%. This is men under wow. the under 40. We're supposed to be in kind of the prime of that, that stage of their life. In 2001, just for comparison's sake, it was 5%. And we saw an increase. And then in 2007, there's a big spike. That, of course, was the release of the smartphone. And so it's becoming very clear that, you know, our minds are being programmed to experience unnatural levels of stimulation to be aroused. And it's impacting the way people connect with each other. That's why the divorce rates go higher. There's other studies that show just relationship dissatisfaction in general declines when porn is in a marriage or a relationship. Um, but it's even affecting people's 
physical bodies. And as we now know, this is no longer a male issue. Women are going there as well. And it's for the same reasons we talked about. You know, men experience pain and intimacy deficiencies, and so too do women. So obviously, there's different nuances to the female experience. It's not to say they're the exact same, but there is some overlap at a foundational level. Wow. And what about, do you have any stats at all about the church? Because, you know, normally we would think of most Christians as being victorious and so forth. But my experience says, no, that's not the case. What are you yeah. hearing about that? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. So the, the stats basically show they're, they're more or less the same. Uh, the, the problem, of course, with any stats around this is it's very hard to get a large body of information for it to be fully reliable. But right. Barna and Covenant Eyes did, did a combined uh, poll, I think it was about four or five years ago, it was 2016. And at that time, they found that uh, one in five senior pastors admitted to watching pornography within the last week. Wow. And I believe it was one in four for youth pastors, something to that effect. Uh, of church patrons, men, I mean, the, the numbers range, it's anywhere from 40 to 60%. And you have to keep in mind, these are the people who are actually willing to admit it in a survey. Uh, you know, for some leaders, not everyone's blessed to have something like Leaders Alliance, Michael. So for some leaders, they actually can't be honest about their struggle because they're going to lose their job. So the, wow. the numbers are likely much higher than what they're reported to be. But that's kind of the, the lay of the land as far as we know. Wow, that is so intense. And really, you know, if you're listening today and you're a pastor or you're a leader, this is really why we're even doing this broadcast is we want to help you and equip you and resource you to be able to, first of all, find personal victory if you're struggling. And secondly, to be able to bring that victory to the members of your church. Because obviously, you know, I was actually surprised at one point by the amount of reference in scripture to a clear conscience, a clean conscience. You know, it says that the blood of Jesus washes our conscience from every dead work to serve the living God. Conscience, um, I, I think it was John Locke who said that the, the conscience of a man is his most precious possession. And when our consciences get damaged because of our flirting with sin or our, our massive indulgence in sin, it really disempowers the believer. How do you yeah. see, you know, like that, that issue, the, the forgiveness process in, the, in relationship to pornography? How do, what have you discovered around that? Yeah, well, I, I actually, I think what you said there about the conscious part is huge. And it's funny because when you get exposed to porn at a young age, you, you're more or less conditioning your mind uh, before it's even fully formed to experience these stimulations, to go there, to get comfort, to avoid pain, whatever it might be. Um, so I just want to comment on the consciousness part because we find that a lot of guys uh, make the mistake of, of uh, affiliating or, or interconnecting temptation and condemnation. And what I mean by mm. that is a lot of guys condemn themselves because they had a temptation. The interesting thing is that Hebrews 4 says Jesus was tempted in every way. Yet we know Romans 8 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I think as a starting point, even like in the forgiveness subject, this is also very much relevant because a lot of guys condemn themselves for their sexuality. And, and part, the church is partially responsible for that, for creating this very rigid uh, kind of purity culture where it's like, don't have sex before marriage and porn is bad, you know, and it's kind of all these rules and we're not given any sort of why underneath it. And so you have these people who are, they feel guilty for anything that is sexual at all. And, you know, God has created us sexually and then they condemn themselves. They fall into that condemnation because they think, oh, I shouldn't have attraction. I shouldn't be tempted. I'm a sinner. Uh, I'm a pervert. Woe is me. And then they fall into these patterns. They end up just kind of supporting it with their own belief system. So um, one of the things that we walk through for forgiveness, obviously, we all know you have to forgive the people that have hurt you in the past. The Bible's clear about that. But the, the person we are the slowest to forgive typically is ourselves. And that yeah. is a huge part of the healing journey is letting these guys actually show some compassion towards themselves to say, hey, like mm. this, this is a tricky subject. And you had that you didn't necessarily have the tools or the resource or the environment to grow and develop the way you were supposed to it's okay. Like, let's, let's, let's be a little bit kinder to yourself about it. Forgive yourself, release yourself. And that's obviously just as empowering as forgiving anybody else. But what it does is it, it gives them the chance to then love themselves, appreciate their sexuality, and then make more godly decisions as a result. Wow. And this is really connected to the, the issue of shame. And could you, could you talk about shame? Because, you know, the shame hiding kind of shame, and fear and condemnation dynamic is so real in most guys' lives. And, yes. and usually it doesn't lead to greater vulnerability. It leads on the one hand to greater hiding. Um, yes. Talk about that a little bit. 
you know? Yeah. So we, we talked about shame in the context of what we call the triple threat. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention the other two briefly, but I will comment on shame. Shame is really this fundamental belief that, that you are bad, that, that something mm -hmm. is wrong with you. And it is arguably the greatest tactic the enemy has in his arsenal because he knows that if we can live with a contradictory belief to, to our God-given identity, that we will never actually reach our potential and we will never be present in our relationships to the degree that we were meant to. So wow. shame, shame does all of those things. It, it keeps you hidden and resolved. It keeps you disconnected. It's one of the most common things that guys will say to me when they reach out, when I say, okay, what's going on? Like, how is this actually impacting your life? It's disconnection, isolation. I will let people in, but not all the way in, lest I be found out. This is what right. shame does. It is totally insidious. Uh, it's totally by, like the enemy's work. And if we don't make the effort of being vulnerable, like we were talking about earlier, and of learning to really uh, be seen, first of all, be seen by God, let alone being seen by other people, then we, we live trapped in the shame and we have no hope of getting out. Just really briefly, I'll mention it's part of the triple threat. The other two elements are guilt and regret. So shame is where uh, you are bad. Guilt is when what you've done is bad. Uh, there, there is a positive element to guilt where uh, if the Holy Spirit gets in there and it becomes conviction, that can obviously lead you into a, a radical life change. And that can be really good. Regret is the other component, very much tied into the forgiveness of self as we were talking about. And we define regret as looking at your past without compassion. Oh, and wow. so a, a huge part of getting over the regret, you know, I, I just finished working with a professional athlete and uh, he cannot, he could not forgive himself rather for uh, everything that he had done wrong. And his career became a little bit tumultuous with an injury. And all along, he's just thinking, man, if I wouldn't have been watching porn, if I wasn't sleeping around, if I wasn't caught up in the lifestyle, maybe my life would be different. And teaching him to look at his past through a lens of compassion has radically altered the way he views the events. And it's allowed him to see God's goodness in everything that's happened and just accept where he's at now. And of course, it's reflected in the way he's engaging with pornography as well. So uh, that's how kind of all those things coalesce together. Wow, that's a, such amazing insights. Gosh, I wish we had, you know, more time. I want you to share a little bit about the different uh, services you provide for people. Obviously, you've mentioned some personal counseling, coaching. You've, I know you have an e-course. I know you have your book. Talk about yeah. each of those elements and how they work together. And what, if I was a pastor, how could I invite these things into my church? Absolutely. So uh, one of our major goals in the last year and a half has been to create as many resources as possible. So uh, we have a daily podcast because we know when you struggle with these kinds of things, you need daily help, all the encouragement you can get. That's called Unleash the Man Within. It's available on all major platforms. We also have a weekly newsletter. And again, just another way to get resources into people's hands. So uh, for leaders and pastors, that's a great place to start. There's no cost, no barrier to entry, really. Uh, it's all kind of just built in there. Uh, for people who maybe want to invest a little bit more, The Last Relapse is the book that's just come out. Uh, it's been featured by CBN and it's been ranking on Amazon for the last week or so. And okay, so if people cool. want to get their hands on that, there's a bit more of a cost to it. And for people who are serious and you want to be part of our program, we, we have an all-encompassing package that's called Deep Clean. And that basically has uh, a course, it has weekly group coaching, and it has an online private community where we have guys from all around the world who, you know, different stages of life, different places on the planet, but they're all working to really resolve the root issues of pornography, transform their hearts so that their behavior will eventually change. And, um, and that's kind of what, what people can engage in if they're really serious and ready to sort of go to the next level. Wow, that's such good stuff. Um, I, we'll, we'll have links associated with this that will be put uh, in, as a companion to this particular podcast. But uh, gosh, you know, we, we would love to be able to be partnered with you to make sure that we're sort of an ongoing ongoing advocate of what you're building because it sounds in incredibly powerful you know oh, so thanks, tell me a couple that. of stories like you know wh what have you seen what kind of breakthroughs have have happened as a result yeah for sure uh, this was this one was pretty recent we had a software engineer we, we get a lot of it guys in our program actually because um arguably they they can get around the internet filters probably better than anybody else can and yeah. so this guy had come to me and basically his girlfriend of six months said hey if you want to marry me one day you need to get this thing sorted out. And so, uh, so he came to me, basically he had no idea what was wrong. He was like, well, I've been watching porn for a long time. He was late thirties. And when we start to dig in a little bit, the main thing we found was that he was living with performance thinking. And it's funny because, you know, we talk about for performance thinking in all kinds of environments and people don't think it could affect their sexuality or this kind of area, but it's just as relevant. 
And so for him, he was dealing with a lot of pressures at work, a lot of pressures at home, and really struggling to experience that intimacy with God because every time he came to him, he just felt like he wasn't good enough. And he had the, the shame hanging over his head. So we just taught him to, to see God differently. We taught him, you know, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, and guided him into that place where he's just regularly engaging with him. So we teach a specific journaling method. It'd be similar to kind of Mark Verkler's stuff, a little bit more tailored to the specific issue. So we taught him our journaling method, and he's starting to engage with God. And I still remember probably the sixth or seventh session he comes in, and it was almost like there's this glow on his face. You can kind of see the difference. And he's like, I got it. You know, like I, I, I finally, finally get it. And, um, and it was really, really cool. And so he, he made some other adjustments as well. Like I said, we get very practical. So he started charging his phone in a different room. He, um, you know, he set up a little nighttime routine, a little morning routine, just some things on the bookends of his days to keep him structured. And all of those things, like eventually the guy's like excelling. Uh, he is engaged. He's going to get married in about six weeks. And mm -hmm. He continues to come to the group coaching calls. I don't know that he needs it necessarily anymore, but he has just found a new sense of liberty and he wants to give back. He loves pouring into the guys and he still likes the accountability as well. So um, that, that's been a really cool story uh, that we've had recently. We had another guy who came to us because he wanted to be a father, but he didn't feel worthy. He just didn't feel like, um, like he could handle fatherhood when he had this issue. And it turns out that he had all kinds of father wounds. And so his dad had left the home when he was 13 years old, cheated on his mom. He told himself, I'm never going to be like my dad. We all know how this goes. He got married, uh, cheated on his wife, got divorced. Life was in total shambles, found a girl that he really loved. Uh, they were getting serious and he just realized, I'm, I can't go any further in my life if I don't get this thing dealt with. And when he came into the program, he was very resistant to everything. He actually told me in the first session, he's like, Sathya, I hate you. I'm so mad at you because you think you're better than me because you're free of porn and here I am struggling. And I just said, hey, no problem, man. I, I would be pissed too. Like I get it, you know. But I said, uh, just trust me. Just trust me. We'll go through the process. And when we got to the forgiveness part, uh, again, that was where his heart really started to soften, uh, where he really started wow. to heal up. And um, he just had a, a beautiful baby girl uh, about two months ago and he was ready to kind of take that plunge when all was said and done. So it is amazing what happens when these guys like God in and Usually what we find is, yes, they get free of porn and they get free of sexual sin, but that is kind of the, the first stone in the ocean, so to speak, or the pond. There's all those ripples after. There's the relationship change, uh, the life changes. We've seen people start businesses and do all kinds of cool things once they start to get free. So it's, it's pretty fun. Wow. Well, I remember a statement that, um, that uh, somebody that was struggling with alcoholism made to me one time. I said, you know, so you have an alcohol problem. He says, no, alcohol is not my problem. Alcohol is my solution. What's my problem? Wow. And yes. I think you're, you're kind of hitting on the same thing, you know, that for most people, the reason that porn can be so addictive is it, it solves an immediate issue. It's a solution, but it's a solution that leads to a greater problem. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and so what kind of final words would you give to somebody who's struggling right now and kind of to... Yeah to give them a sense of a pathway into victory over this bondage. Yeah. I think one of the misnomers that I see circulating a lot is that knowledge is power. And I personally believe that knowledge is potential. Knowledge oh. with action is power. And I think what stops a lot of people from experiencing the transformation that they totally deserve is not a lack of knowledge. It's a lot, a lack of action. So my biggest encouragement to anybody who's struggling is just take one step. Like you, maybe you've told nobody, and maybe that first step is just going and, you know, downloading a podcast or getting your hand on, uh, on a resource, on a book or something like that. Uh, maybe you're a little bit further along the way and you know you need to start talking to people. Um, so start talking to somebody. Just find the most trusted, the most safe person you can possibly talk to and get the conversation going. And for people who are there, they're saying, Sathya, I've, I've tried this stuff, but I know I need a system or a process. Then reach out and get some professional help. Just, just take that next step. Uh, that will be the thing that puts you further and further into that transformation journey. Wow, that's so, so good. So if I was to access you, give me one or two access points verbally that we can uh, write down that'll, we have your other information, so we'll be posting that. But, but let's say the newsletter, because that'll give a, sort of a, a gateway to everything you offer. What would be yes. the way to access that newsletter? Easiest place is getadeepclean.com. So deep clean is the name of the program. Uh, getadeepclean.com. That'll that'll be kind of the, the portal to all of our resources. Getadeepclean.com. 
Yeah. Excellent. That's awesome. Well, gosh, could you just uh, close in praying for anyone who's listening today who needs to hear this, who's struggling, or maybe they're mentoring people that are struggling. Can you pray a, a prayer of impartation for us as we close our time? Yeah, absolutely. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this time together. Lord, we thank you that uh, living a life of sexual integrity is your design. This is not something yes. we have to twist your arm for. Uh, it's not even something we have to beg for. We are simply coming to into agreement with the way you've designed us to live. And you want this for us even more than we want it for ourselves. So we, we thank you, Lord. I pray for, um, for your presence to fill the, the room of every single person who's listening or watching. And I pray, God, that you would begin to just reveal. I pray for the spirit of revelation to just expose the, the unaddressed areas that are going within the hearts that need to be tackled, uh, the, the areas that maybe need a little bit more attention. And Father, uh, for those people who maybe have some fear that's holding them back from taking the next step, God, would you just bring the truth into their hearts, show them what it is that's on the other side of them in that place of freedom, in that place of sexual integrity. And, and God, lastly, I pray that you would continue to just refine our images of who you are. We know that when we see you clearly, God, everything else will follow suit. And I, I pray that, um, I just feel like there's, there's some of you out there where you're, the, the windshield just has a couple stains on it, a couple smudges. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and just cleanse it. Come and wipe it. Yes. And, uh, wipe it clean. Help us to see things clearly and to walk in that place of sexual integrity. And lastly, I, I pray for the relationships, the marriages that have been affected, that either have been broken or um, they've been strained. Lord, we just declare uh, for, for reconciliation to be released as well. And it starts with the person who's struggling, Lord. Let them find the boldness they need to have the conversations, to get the help, whatever that next step might be. Um, Lord, we thank you for just uh, restoring marriages as well as people start to step out and get healed. We pray this all, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's so powerful. And uh, Sathya, I'd like to have you back uh, to speak to the Leaders Alliance Hub sometime in the next couple of months, if you will, you know, I because I really want our whole team, our whole group of uh, pastors and leaders to hear, you know, what you've shared with us. It's powerful. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for what you're doing. And uh, let's stay in touch, Michael. Excellent. So we'll, we'll release you now. And, uh, and uh, Jordan, if you could also uh, just... You know, what I want to do now is just take a pause for a moment. Uh, thank you for being on this podcast. And uh, what a highlight, gosh, to have Sathya share with us, Sathya Sam. And uh, just to remind you, it's getadeepclean.com is the access point to all the resources that they've developed to guide you into victory over issues in your own personal life as it relates to immorality and, and, uh, and pornography. So um, anyway... Gosh, what a what a eye opener! All right, now we're going to shift a little bit. I want to I want to actually introduce my friend uh, Angelo Jean Pierre. Angelo and I have known each other for a couple of years, and uh, he is an evangelist here at Bethel Church. I'll let him share a little bit about his role and responsibility here, but he's also just agreed to uh, join us at Leaders Alliance as our uh, evangelism catalyst group leader. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited about this because, you know, again, part of our goal, even though we're part of a ministry called Catch the Fire, we actually believe that part of our role is to create a bridge with the greater body of Christ. And Amen. so we do bring in other leaders who are from different ministries, different streams to come in and support us in this. And this is something that, that you know, even uh, one of my heroes, a guy named Bill Johnson, said that he wanted us to do was just to... He said, I serve all the different branches of the body of Christ as, as I can. And so to have you on, uh, Angelo, to be able to be part of this work is just an mm -hmm. honor to us. And, and uh, certainly I have you on because I want you to also share a little bit about the book you've written and the workbook mm -hmm. that's there and what you're doing. So why don't you just give us a few minutes of your life story, how you ended up doing what you're doing, and yep. then we'll take it from there. Oh, it's great to be with everyone, Michael. It's great to uh, be here. Yeah, my name is Angelo Jean-Pierre and uh, been on staff at Bethel for about 10 years now. And uh, five kids. I know you've got a handful of kids too, Michael. My hat's off Amazing. to you. Five kids. <laughs> Ours are nine, six, four, two, and 10 months. And so wow. we're busy. We're doing what we believe revival starts in family and it flows out of that. And so we're excited and, um, you know, I would say um, my real, my passion and heart and what I do is 
I activate all of our students to not just do an outreach, but to cultivate a lifestyle where the gospel flows out of them in a lifestyle, in a flow. And so, you know, we have tons of outreaches, well over a hundred outreaches that we send them out to. But we also have something called activation assignments that were really birthed out of my book and something that I'm passionate about being on staff for years here and kind of figuring the flow of, of how we um, really create students to have an internal passion where they wake up in the morning and they're connecting with Holy Spirit, going, Holy Spirit, how do you, you know, the adventure that we're going to step out on, like, Holy Spirit, speak to me about people I'm going to, you know, encounter today and just that natural flow. And so I've been doing that for years and um, it's awesome seeing a ton of fruit. And uh, I don't know if you want me to share a little bit about my background. Sure, please do. There. Yeah. Love yeah. to hear your story. Absolutely. Um you know, part of my story, and I'm going to take, this is my first time doing, uh, there we go. Can you hear me? Sure. Yeah, yeah. These earbuds have a noise canceling and it's, it's wild, but I just turned it off. <laughs> so, um, you know, I got saved in a house church and um, it was in the Seattle area about, you know, 1999, 2000. And uh, when I encounter God's love, it it marked me like it has so many of us and it set me on this journey didn't know what an evangelist was but i knew i had been marked by his love and it's that reality of uh you know in acts chapter three um i believe it's peter and john said you know the beggars like do you have any money silver and gold and they said silver and gold i don't have but what i have i give you and i knew i had been encountered by god's love and i knew i had something to give away and so i just started telling people about jesus and had the opportunity to lead both my parents to the lord saw my mom delivered off methamphetamines overnight my whole college basketball team going from a place where wasn't celebrated on the team wasn't a key contributor to God, I want to see my team impacted, led them, got to lead them all to the Lord with my coach at a secular college. He happened to come in the same year I came in. And, and then I gained favor with the team as well and became a captain and saw God see a dream that as I served him, um, he gave both desires. It was amazing. And so it's just been a passion of mine to see what's inside of me impact the people around me. It really is the heartbeat of the books that I wrote, which is Acts 1-8. You know, it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be a witness. It's, wow. you know, he empowers us to impact our Jerusalem, Judea, Samarias, and the ends of the earth. And I really believe it's easy as an outreach to, to look way out and I got to impact these people. But many times individuals forget about the ones closest to them their family, their friends, their co-workers and neighbors, and how do I bring the gospel to them? And that's what I had the opportunity to do this right when I got saved. I was like that woman at the well. I was, you know, I got impacted at a house church, tricked into coming through food, food and football. <laughs> and, um, and man, when they started sharing about the miracles that their, um, their sons have experienced the wife had been ran over by a car her pelvis crushed and they tell me how she was healed doctor said she wouldn't be able to have kids she had her three boys standing there and this is before i'd ever heard about bethel this is up in a little town by seattle and just i was at awe of the goodness and reality of god and i had encountered his love and i just wanted to give it away and so that has propelled me into the place i am now you know, it's the same passion message hasn't, hasn't changed just growing in God. How do we see the ones around us impacted? How do we activate the body of Christ? And so um, it is a passion of mine. Wow. And how, like, obviously you had a immediate call towards evangelism. When did you know that you were called to be an evangelist? And how do you define that? Like, what does that mean to you? Because, you know, you, you went to school here and then you got yeah. hired on and, and now it's like you're bearing incredible fruit, reaching others for Christ. What was the journey into that sense of 
solid understanding of your calling? Yeah, great question. You know, my journey was birthed out of serving and I, mm. I served another evangelist and um, I just felt like all, even before I was in school, I would serve him. And, and I remember there was a cost. I said, whenever you need me to serve, I'll be there. And he'd call me up randomly and, and I'd jump in and serve. And I ended up creating an unknowing, you know, I didn't know this was going to happen. I created a vacuum where I helped push him into his dreams and it actually sucked me up into his old role. And he's like, can you oversee this? And that's how I got hired. And um, so I started out every Friday, Saturday and Sunday, I would go in our community as the associate outreach pastor at Bethel, um, leading teams out on the streets Friday nights. We would take eight um, locations. We have probably 300 meals we'd take out to eight locations every Saturday with wow. teams. And then we'd bus over 350 people in at the end of the month and 250 at the beginning of the month um, to our um, dining room. And we just do this huge Sunday morning feast and we didn't make people go to church, but we brought the church to them. And um, and so doing that for years, um, I just I think, you know, you kind of hit you hit you hit extremes in your life and you kind of I'm in the church for a while and I get stir crazy and I'm like, we got to get out. I get around people that don't know Jesus and my heart comes alive. It's like holding when somebody gets born again, it's like seeing one of my kids born. It's like. I encounter his goodness every time I pour his goodness out and see somebody encounter. It's like, it's fresh. It's vibrant. It's alive. The living water they're experiencing, I experience. And so wow. um, I don't even know that I felt this hard calling. I just knew that what happens in me when I see individuals encounter his love, it's like it, it brings to remembrance his goodness Time after time in my life, it reminds me of when my mom got delivered and everybody had given up on her. And I had that personal victory, you know, mm -hmm. like a David. And it's like, I wanted, I want everybody to experience the joy of other people stepping into the kingdom through their steps of faith. And so, mm -hmm. like, you know, I think really this last season of writing was like, we need to equip the body not to just think of doing outreaches, but we've got to equip the body of Christ to live a lifestyle. How do you live a lifestyle where your family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors are constantly experiencing the goodness of God out of your life, as well as you feel sharp as a believer to articulate the gospel, to articulate your testimony, because every believer's story is powerful. And right. when we can yield that, it actually, we will bear uh, fruit. And, um, you know, there's Proverbs 1130 says, those who win souls are wise. And that word wise actually means skilled. So I do have a passion to see, you know, individuals develop a, a skill set on how to articulate the gospel, how to know when to throw out a net, how to know when to just love on somebody and come back the next day and, and ask the Holy Spirit for another um, another key of wisdom into their heart. So um, mm. I think I think we've all been given, you know, it would be like being on a basketball team, like I was a college basketball player, and you're always sitting on the bench. I do have this competitive edge in me, and I love being in the game. I love being engaged. And I, I love seeing when people awaken to the joy of engaging others outside the four walls of the church, mm -hmm. seeing God move through them. And so, you know, it's simple, but um, that's really the heartbeat is getting believers to see the joy in evangelism and see the excitement of the God of the universe wants to use me to impact the people around me. It's wow, exciting. That's so good. Yeah, I know that, you know, my early days as a believer, I was on the streets doing ministry all the time. We ran a house ministry, taking people off the streets. That's how I met my wife, Diane. She was a YWAMer who came to San Francisco to preach the gospel, and we fell in love and got married. It was so much a part of my early life, but I knew it wasn't my primary long-term calling. Yeah. But at the same time, I know that it's, it needs to be part of my ongoing life. 
Mm. And I think that's what you're you're dealing with, because obviously a lot of people will say, well, I'm not called to be an evangelist. Therefore, you know, I'm called to be more prophetic or I'm called to be more of a worship leader or whatever. How do you address those individuals? I mean, one thing you've said so far, which I love, is just the, the degree of joy you get when yeah. you've actually been used by God to help somebody inch closer to the kingdom. But yeah. how do you actually, because let me just pause one second again, is an evangelist is a soul winner, but yeah. an evangelist is also an equipper of the body to do the work of the ministry, according to Ephesians 4.12. How do you see those two things working? Talk to me a little bit Absolutely. more about this. Absolutely. You know, it's like I sometimes equate it to this. You're you're a musician and you're, you love the joy of playing your instrument, but you have to equip others to play their instrument, but you have to stay in the joy of playing your own instrument. Right. And yeah. so, um, you know, I think the, the big passion that I have with equipping and just give me your question again. I got oh, so just, excited. I've, just the yeah. issue of, of on the one hand, the call to evangelism, Yes. Which I think every believer has, but also your unique calling to equip the church. Absolutely. There's yeah. those two dynamics that I think is in the life of every evangelist. How yeah. do you how do you walk those out? Yeah, no, that's great. You know, there's the reality that the Holy Spirit, he says, he empowers us to be a witness. And yeah. then we look at Luke 4 and Isaiah 61, where it's the spirit of the Lord is upon us. Two, And so, you know, we, I love when believers get filled with the spirit and this reality of the Holy Spirit empowering us. And I've been touched in a meaning by the Holy Spirit. But there's actually this grace release that's not a personality trait that isn't a, a skill set, but it's a yieldedness to the Holy Spirit where he empowers us. And many people ask, like, I know that, but what does that look like? And it's those those small nudges as we're out and about to turn and love on people and communicate yeah. the gospel. And so I'm passionate to, you know, yes, not everybody's called to the office of the evangelist, um, but everybody like what Paul communicates to Timothy, they're called to do the work of the evangelist. Right. They're called to, you know, love God with all their heart and then love others and when we do that, it actually, I believe um, that's some of our greatest opportunities of growth. You know, wow. John chapter four, you know, where it talks about lift up our eyes, the harvest is ripe. Right before that, Jesus says, my food and my, my will is to do the work of the father and finish, you know, what he sent me to do. And right. I, I started to read that and Jesus is saying, my food, what nourishes me, what gives me life is to do the will of the father and finish his work. And if oh, every yeah. believer can grab a hold of this, that, wow, I actually get life and nourishment, not just from my pastor. Right. I don't just get life and nourishment from the church, but it's from that simple obedience um, to following the voice of the Lord, stepping out and engaging in loving, doing the greatest commandment, loving the Lord and loving others will actually grow in exponential ways. And so That's big so passion cool. of mine. So I think the tension is um, knowing how to create beautiful rhythms in life. I've got five kids. I'm traveling a good amount. Most I've ever traveled in my life. Um, we're equipping, you know, students. We're teaching in the school. Um, but I'm also coaching three of my kids' basketball teams wow. and a bunch of them don't know the Lord. And wow. so I'm engaging with my coaches. Like we got to give these kids prophetic words. We got to create moments. How do we create moments in our day where we give space for the Holy spirit to show up? And so I wow. really, it's that beautiful tension of, you know, walking in the spirit, walking with the spirit as a lifestyle, not yes. turning off, but going, wow, Lord, how do you want how do you want to engage my workplace today? How do you want to engage mm -hmm. my neighbors? And, and it's that beautiful adventure and invitation with the Lord. That's so good. You know, um, it reminds me of a phrase that John Wimber used to say that the meat is in the streets. It's Ooh, like, you know, there's the meat is in the street. And and uh, but one of the things I love about your approach is the word lifestyle. 
And I know that's even in, in the title of your books. It's like this idea of, of how do we cultivate a lifestyle? Cause you know, I've done gosh, hundreds of hours of street ministry, high profile evangelism. I love all kinds of evangelism in all ways. I mean, I, I affirm it all, but I also know that the local church generally is built on not so much street evangelism, mm -hmm. but it's built on lifestyle evangelism, people actually reaching the guy in the next cubicle or the guy they see yeah. every day in the coffee shop or, or the neighbor next door who's mowing his lawn. In other words, that the, the intimate dynamic of using a bridge of trust that already exists mm -hmm. and so to good. be able to share the gospel with somebody you actually have already built that bridge of trust with and so yeah. one of the things that attracts me to you, and I'm super excited about you becoming the catalyst leader for evangelism in our midst in Leaders Alliance, is your emphasis on a more holistic approach mm -hmm. to evangelism. Talk to me about that. Yeah, we're always going to have events, and events are beautiful springboards. Yes. But, you know, when we, we're called to make disciples, and, man, there's two dynamics here. There's that call to make disciples and that at, for the average believer doesn't happen in huge events. It can happen in a church where you get passed down somebody and now you're discipling them, but there's nothing more beautiful than having a coworker that you're like, Hey, we're going to lunch and you're discipling them. Mm -hmm. Or you've got a group of kids that you're pouring into um, at a, you know, at what you're one of their coaches and you're pouring into them and you're discipling them. Then you start pouring into their parents. And it's like, when it becomes a lifestyle, it actually becomes natural to where it's not, it doesn't turn off and on either. It's just mm. a natural flow of our life. And it's what's the, the beauty about it is, is, you know, when we pour into people, we're actually receiving from the Lord too. So it's like this constant funnel of his grace. And it's not just these missions moments where you're like, I saw God pour out. So it's, it's exciting to create a lifestyle and it, it just causes a lot of health and, and vibrancy in individuals and the church. And so mm -hmm. Yeah. So good. Well, share with us a little bit about the book. Start to zero in yeah. and show us the title. Show us, you know, the Absolutely. workbook that goes with here. it. And you have other training yeah. materials. Yeah. yeah. So what, what we did is um, this is a book. It's called The Empowered Lifestyle. And it's it's really focused on unlocking our voice to share the gospel. How do we take sometimes believers feel like the gospel's buried inside of them? They know it but it doesn't feel like they can articulate it. So we really address that. We, you, you taught me something years ago, Michael. I don't even know if you know this, but you taught me, you know, God formed us, sin deformed us, Christ transforms us, repent and believe. And just, we give a bunch of tools for people to understand not just why they need to communicate it, but how they communicate it. Good. When you communicate it where you can communicate it. So we break down specifically like the two thieves on the cross and how would you apply this to your story? How could you communicate this? Where could you communicate it? Same with John 3, 16, Romans Road. We talk about how can you communicate the gospel in one minute? How do you cultivate a life where the gospel feels sharp? We address what the gospel is and we really try to build that foundation to where you feel like it's not this hard Thing to muster up the communication of the gospel. Because what I found in our environment with believers today, they believe in the power of God. They believe that they can prophesy. They believe that they can, um, you know, pray for the sick. But when it comes to actually throwing out their net and articulating the gospel, many people struggled with that. So mm. we address that in this book. And then the second one is, is activating the empowered lifestyle. And this is a fun one because it's a 28-day journey on how you lead family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors to the Lord. And wow. so we take them through a seven-day journey, which some people do it in 14 days. Like there's no pressure, but we make two train tracks in this. The first train track is the intentional family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors. And then we have another train track, which is the, we call it the weekly five. And that's the wild card spontaneous side of the book, which is every week we challenge um, the individual that's reading it to 
pray for the sick, preach the gospel, um, do an act of kindness, give a prophetic word. And the fifth one is get a word of knowledge. And wow. so we, we stir you with the spontaneous as you're going and then the very intentional. And so the way that that book is broken down is day one, we stir up. How, how do you stir up compassion for a family member? And we ask you to engage with the Holy Spirit on, you know, 15 to 20 minutes in your day on um, just stirring up compassion, walking through forgiveness and engaging your heart towards that family member, letting the Lord's compassion fill you. And then day two is how do you take the word of God, which is living and active, right? And how do we get a word that we can pray into for a family member? You know, it could be Psalms 91. You know, I'm praying protection or I'm praying for the, the peace of God that passes all understanding. And as we pray the word, God will breathe on that. But also day five is the encounter day. So we're building day one through four to, to, to encounter them on day five. And so the word of God day two the gifts of the spirit is day three and the day four is all about preaching the gospel. And we call it the three R's. How do you preach the gospel in a relevant and revelatory way where you feel ready to communicate it? And it's, it's so easy as believers for us to not be able to see what's going on in society. And a great example is when Kobe Bryant died, let's, for example, it was one of the greatest moments for my athletic friends to be able to articulate the gospel to because they realized this icon that they so admired all of a sudden dies. And even, even like we just don't know when we're going to go. And it's like there was such a moment in hearts open to articulate wow. the gospel and communicate. So we want people to know how to be relevant with what's going on in family, friends, co-workers and neighbors lives and then have that fresh revelation where they can communicate it with they feel the wind of the spirit breathing on their words and then where they just feel ready and um and day five is the encounter day it's taking the last four days of what you've accumulated and figuring out how do i step into starting to give this to the person i've been praying for and it's really simple. And then day six is intercession, praying into the seeds you'd sown, the encounter you had, asking God for more. And day seven is the follow-up day. And so it's a really intentional train track to engage us with family. And we've already been hearing awesome testimonies and seeing fruit of people just going, wow, this is way easier than I expected. You know, my, my God, God breathed on my, my yes and my act of faith to step out of the boat of my comfort zone. So it's That's exciting. So it's fun to, to be able to activate the everyday believer. And you have some other e-courses and other things as yeah. well. Tell us your website address. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. you can go to angelojumpierre.com and, you know, go down to the, the shop button and click there, or they posted it on there. It's shop.angelojumpierre.com. And we also, with the book, we, film 30 people our environment we have the chris valentins and the dave harveys and the chris cruises and many others from our environment that actually share a story of them leading family members leading co-workers neighbors to the lord and then they they share that story to impart faith and then they pray for you to receive the grace that they had stepped into so That's we great. really trying to create momentum in the hearts of individuals where, you know, they can build that courage to go, wow, God did it through them. They can do it again through my life. Wow. And if there's a pastor listening right now, obviously we're always looking for great equipping material for our people. And um, how, would, how would you like say, let's say if you were invited into a church, what would that look like? How would you bring yeah. your message in and what could a pastor expect if he invited you in? Absolutely. Great question. You know, the, the real heartbeat of it is to inspire and equip people. And we're, we're getting ready to launch a three-day school that goes with the books. We're not fully there yet, but we plan to be there by the spring. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really simple. We want to equip and activate your body. We want to help you identify evangelists in your 
world and help you create a culture. One of the things we've done well in our environment is create culture. So we don't want to just come in and do a, a one-time outreach, but we want to help you create a culture where you can see that ecosystem of people going out and living the gospel thriving. So we love to connect with your leaders, pour into them. We'd love to have time to minister to your body, take them on the streets, show them how they do it when they're shopping, take teams out at lunch and minister and, and not just do an outreach. We love the outreaches as well. We would love to still do that, but we're really going after lifestyle. How do we do it as a lifestyle? And so um, we love getting teams to stay in host homes and roll out and just go out and do spontaneous stuff because God shows up in the spontaneous, in the normal shopping, you know, just doing the daily stuff. And so that's really what we want to equip. Oh, that's so powerful. And so um, if you're a pastor and you're listening to this, either live or in archives, we really want you to be part, able to partake of this uh, this resource. Also, we're going to have you sharing a little bit more in our Leaders Alliance Hub Gathering. Yeah. And uh, you're going to be talking to about 50% of the group as pastors, usually about mm -hmm. maybe 30 to 50 pastors on board. And then there's usually a bunch of marketplace people as well. Talk about the marketplace. Like if you're a, if you're a business owner, how do you take what you're sharing and apply it in a way? Because sometimes there's restrictions. Yeah. Sometimes there's dynamics that you want to be, you know, you got to navigate carefully. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I want to encourage you just to gracefully lean into the Lord. Um, we have a guy in school this year who 12 years ago when I worked at a computer company, he's in school now because in one moment I got a word of knowledge. He didn't he was a believer, but he, he preached against any of the gifts of the spirit. He got ignited and he knew God spoke to him and he knew it was the Lord through this word of knowledge. And it set him on this track and he became like the evangelist at our workplace. And it was this beautiful thing of I encountered one individual and then they got so passionate. They started sharing with everybody and going, God does speak and I want to do this and start stepping out. And then I pastored them. So, you know, you can look for the individual that you pour into and then you know how it is. If you're a teacher in a school and you pour into an individual or you're in a workplace and they go wild, it's like, it's a different thing than you doing it. And you're pastoring revival right there through that individual. Uh, but I would just say, find the joy, break off the pressure to perform and see God show up, but find the joy in the little acts of stepping out and loving individuals. Look for those Holy Spirit stop signs where they can stop tasting and, and taste and see of his goodness. And then Step out with the little small things. It could be, hey, Jesus loves you today. Or, hey, man, you were on my heart this weekend. I was praying for you. And can we step out at lunch and talk? Or, you know, um, there's, there's so many ways to step out. But the biggest thing is don't partner with pressure. Don't partner with fear. Um, find the joy in God's presence in your environment, and then let that flow through you to encourage the people around you. I'll yeah, end with this too. If you're in an amazing meeting in your environment, one of the best things you can do is like God shows up, he encounters you, or you're having a powerful quiet time um, and God shows up and you just feel a grace and an anointing. And just, you know, sometimes you're, I'm just weeping or or you're just so full of joy. Some of the best things you do is call a coworker right there or a family member or somebody in that environment, text them, send them an email and just release what you're feeling on them. It could be a scripture, something simple, but I'm telling you, the anointing is transferable and it flows and it creates environments where God just moves in powerful, powerful ways. That's so good. You know, again, you know, I love the Great Commission, but the Great Commission is incomplete without Acts 1-8. You know, wait for power and yep. then go. You know, so going is important, but waiting for power is also essential. So could you pray for us as we close and just uh, anyone who's listening both now and in the future, and let's yeah. just release a grace on them. And then uh, we'll follow up with your, mm. with your role in the future. I'm so excited that you're going to be on our team for this next year. So bless you. Oh, great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Father, I just thank you for everyone listening right now. 
And I just pray for a fresh grace and joy for them to be stirred, to step out of the boat. We just pray for a grace to step out of the boat in this season and, and, and walk on the water with the Lord. Yeah, we bless you right now. And I pray for just a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit that, that releases courage and clarity over you to step out. Lord, I ask you to show them right now where they could step out in a simple way to a family member. They could step out in a simple way to a coworker. Right now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would put an impression on their heart, that you'd fill them with faith, that you want to use them. Show, show us and everyone listening how easy it is, Father. So we bless you right now. And I just pray that this would be a joy, a joy as you step out and there would be an ease over your heart that you'd feel the goodness of God flow through you and out of you. That as you step out, you would feel that living water that the woman at the well experienced encounter those individuals around you. So we bless you today. And, and Father, I thank you for the, the fruit that's going to come from individuals listening to this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, super excited. Jean, uh, AngeloJeanPierre.com will be the place. And then you can go to the shop point to get the book. And uh, anyway, thank you so much, Angelo, for being on the call. Thank you so much for working with us in uh, Leaders Alliance. And to the rest of you, God bless you. I hope you have a great week and take advantage of the opportunity to experience the joy that comes when we share our faith with others. God bless you all. Take care. Bless you guys.